Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning again. It is a Friday morning, the 9th of July. I like uh, at the outset of this particular hour in the week to um, bring you a number of headlines that, well, may have escaped you during this past week because, well, frankly, they're not getting nearly enough attention. Uh, and so I'm going to give them attention right here. So if you've never been to um, the Ark Encounter and you haven't yet made like summer plans to go do something, let me just say the Ark Encounter, it, it's in Kentucky, like right on the border with Ohio. Um, the answers in Genesis, uh, it's answers in Genesis ministry is located there as well. Um, the Creation Museum close by. All right. So that's uh, that's so it's pretty cool. Actually, it's really cool. It's stunningly cool. So if you haven't made a plan for the summer and you don't really know what you're going to do and you're like, you know, where could we go that's open and fun and edifying and provokes huge conversations, um, you should go to Williamston or Williamstown, Kentucky, and uh, and see the 510-foot-long Noah Ark. Um, and the reason that I tee this up this morning is not only because, you know, it's, it's good summer fun. But in the headline news at the Associated Press today, there is also this uh, disclosure that the Ark Encounter is going to now begin planning to build a Tower of Babel. So I am asking this question today. I mean, America now has a full-size replica of Noah's Ark, and it is really cool. Do we also need a Tower of Babel? I think this is a good question. So maybe that will get you going back to read these chapters in Genesis, uh, read the Noah's Ark passages in Genesis, and then, you know, yeah, mm -hmm. read uh, about the Tower of Babel. Do we do we really need one of those? Okay. Uh, VBS is back. I would love to hear what is happening at your church, in your city, in your community related to VBS this summer. Is it back in full swing? It is where I live. Love to know if it's back in full swing where you live. You can text me at 877-933-2484. You could, you could send me a link to uh, what VBS is happening um, in your church or local community. You could do that uh, at my email, carmen at myfaithradio.com. And then, drum roll, if I had a drum roll, it would now be rolling, but I didn't I didn't tell uh, Ryan, who is sitting in for Paul this week, that I wanted a drum roll. So there's probably not a drum roll. But here it is. The Chosen, which if you haven't been watching it, I mean, I'll just go ahead and say I think it's great. Um, Yes, I am watching it with the recognition that it is it goes beyond the biblical account. Yes, I acknowledge that it's a fictionalization. I get that. I get that. I am astute enough to pay attention to that. But it's awesome. Um, so it's a global phenomenon. It is the first multi-season show about Jesus. It is the number one crowdfunded media project in all of history. And the highly anticipated season two finale, 
releases this Sunday, uh, July the 11th. And so um, I want you to be aware of that. If you're not already watching, you can do so, you know, in all kinds of places, including the Chosen app. But you could do it on their Facebook page or their YouTube page. Anyway, if you're not already watching the Chosen, go back, catch up, read, watch season one, uh, watch season two. And it ends, uh, season two ends this week. It's our understanding from the creators that there are like six or seven seasons planned. And so um, there's a lot more yet to come. And uh, and I think it's worthy of your time and attention. So thanks to those of you who encouraged me initially to uh, to watch it as well. All right. Adam Holtz is up next. He's from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. We're going to cover some other media headlines and review some movies coming out this week. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. joins me now. You can find what we're talking about today at PluggedIn.com. Plugged In is a ministry of focus on the family. Hey, Adam, how are you, man? I'm great, Carmen. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm great. All right, let's do some movie reviews. Great. Black Widow coming out in theaters. Black Widow coming out in theaters and streaming as a premiere option on Disney Plus for the low, low price of $29.99. Okay. <laughs> I'm not employed by Disney, but I, I felt compelled That's to so say that. That's so crazy. I know it is crazy, but Disney's still trying to figure out what life post COVID looks like. Uh, anyway, on to Black Widow. Black Widow obviously is a character played by Scarlett Johansson. Her her name as a, as a character in the movie is actually Natasha Romanoff. And if that sounds Russian, you get a prize. She's a former Russian super spy who has changed her ways. And actually, super spy isn't quite right. She's actually a former assassin. Uh, and if you're saying to yourself, you know what? I thought she died back in 2019 Avengers Endgame. You are correct. This is a flashback origin story kind of movie. And we get to learn how Black Widow became Black Widow. Uh, turns out she and her younger sister, Elena, for a while lived a normal suburban life in Ohio. But then her parents, who weren't really her parents, but who were actually Russian spies, had their cover blown. They had to flee. Uh, the sisters, who weren't really sisters, got separated, and both of them ended up in the Black Widow training program. And it was led by a guy named Drakov. And and again, if you're thinking Drakov, that doesn't sound very nice. You're right. He's a bad man who kidnaps girls from all over the world and turns them into assassins. And uh, Scarlett Johansson and her sister, played by Florence Pugh, decide enough of that we are gonna bust this thing and uh, they do they bust lots of things there are lots of explosions a fair bit of profanity and comic book violence along the way yeah, it's pg-13 if you've seen any of the marvel movies you know what to expect uh the content's not any better or worse what was in some ways surprising is how strong an emphasis on family this movie gives us there were some really sweet moments here uh, as this family that is not really a family actually kind of acts like a family. So I uh, content warning, um, you know, in play here, I liked this movie more than I thought I was going to. All right. Um, let's talk about um, 
the boss baby family business. I found it super duper curious that the family name here is Templeton. Uh, and so let's talk a little bit um, about Tim and Ted Templeton. Tim and Ted Templeton. So this is a sequel to the kind of surprise sleeper hit from 2017, Boss Baby, which posited that there was this secret pro-baby organization called Baby Corps that uh, has basically adults and baby bodies, and uh, it's voiced by Alec Baldwin. And if you you know woke up this morning and thought, I just need some more Alec Baldwin animated baby movie in my life, uh, this one is is here to meet those needs. Um, the story this time around, Tim and Ted have grown up. And Tim's daughter, Tabitha, lots of T's, uh, suddenly is not acting very nice at all toward him. And they dig into it. Another boss baby shows up named Tina, uh, again with the T's. And they find out that there is this evil guy named Dr. Erwin Armstrong, who is um, sort of the mastermind in James Bond style of a scheme to turn children against their parents. And he is in control of uh, a number of schools. Uh, And so they go to baby corp, drink a potion and get shrunk back into small children, man children and infiltrate the school to try to take down Dr. Erwin Armstrong, who uh, is voiced by Jeff Goldblum. Uh, So couple things you know we got some bathroom humor of course you know that's that's part and parcel of this sort of movie uh i found it interesting that the premise of the movie is an evil mastermind implanting ideas to turn children against their parents obviously (laughs) we're having we're having a really big discussion about the place of certain ideas like critical race theory uh in our culture and how much you know, schools should be teaching certain ideas. I don't want to go off on that rabbit trail, but uh, but this is an interesting premise, right? That that schools right, totally. can be a place that that maybe turn children against ideas that their parents hold dear. Um, and so that was interesting. And and this is a a pretty nice movie in terms of two brothers who are kind of estranged, really learning to value family again. So very strong family centric message here. Uh, and valuing family above whatever indoctrination they might be getting in schools. All right. There is a nod to Christmas in the movie, so don't miss that. That's kind of a, a cute, uh, a, a cute yep. moment, an opportunity to talk about the baby Jesus. So there you go. Um, all right. Uh, we got to take a very brief break. Um, Adam, when we come back, I want you to answer the question, are theaters back? You up for that? I, Ooh, I also have that. a surprise. I also have a surprise question for you about the chosen. So, oh, I love I love surprise questions. Although I haven't seen the last few episodes, so <laughs> it's okay. I'm, it's not, I, I they won't fail. be. It, it won't be that specific. No, no, you'll be okay. totally fine. All right, that's up next. You're on mornings with Carmen. and I continue our conversation. You can find him at PluggedIn.com. Are theaters back, Adam? Uh, The short answer is yes. Um, I think really with 
F9, the latest Fast and Furious movie that came out a couple of weeks ago, uh, and with A Quiet Place Part 2, I mean, both of these are approaching, well, they're both north of $100 million in box office gross, which is a, a number that we haven't seen since before COVID. So uh, I think it's it's safe to say, at least for the big blockbusters, theaters are back. Now, I will say, I mentioned at the outset, you can watch Black Widow on Disney Plus for 30 bucks if you so choose the interesting thing moving forward is going to be able to see how much uh these companies are going to still offer a, a parallel streaming option uh or whether that goes away my guess is that is here to stay uh but obviously studios follow the money wherever they think they can make the most money that's going to determine their distribution plan but i think for now yeah they're back all right, so um, The Chosen, uh, final episode of season two, is going to air this coming Sunday night. Um, it has uh, uh, renewed, actually some recent episodes have renewed conversations among um, some Christians who think that, you know, uh, this is extra biblical material. There are uh, places where the the text or the storyline is pressed in a way that makes some people uncomfortable. Um, I I have identified things that I have said to myself, yeah, I don't think it probably happened that way. But I also recognize this is a this is a fictionalization. This is a way to bring a story to life. It's a way to bring the gospel um, to a new generation. So I, I don't know, just give me your your over and under on uh, on the chosen the parts that you have seen to this point and the phenomenon really of this number one crowdfunded project in all of history. Well, here's what I love about it. We read passages of the Bible and they sort of get ingrained. And the problem with familiarity, you know, the saying is familiarity breeds contempt. I think familiarity breeds not looking closely. And any artist, what an artist tries to do is to bring something to life in a way that causes us to look at it and see it in a new way. And so even going back to the very first episode with Mary Magdalene, um, you know, we read about, oh, so-and-so was demon-possessed. And uh, it's easy to not think about what would that have been like? What would it have been like to encounter someone who was possessed? What would it have been like for that person to be delivered. And so what I think the chosen excels at is taking passages of scripture and stories that we may have read a thousand times to the point where we're not really picturing in our mind, well, what would that have been like? And it forces us to confront the reality of, man, Jesus shows up on the scene and he turns the world upside down. And this was, uh, I'm going to I'm going to use a funny word here. His intrusion into this world was a violent thing in the best sense of that word, right? He came to to bring a new kingdom and to help people begin to see that. And so I think the strength of the chosen is it causes us it provokes us a good again in in a good sense of that word to step back and to ponder what would that have really been like? And like you, yeah, there are times when I'm like, I don't know that it would have been like that, but it's not presenting itself as holy writ. It is a dramatization and an attempt to 
to help us visualize in a positive way, what would this have been like? So I had a um, a world collide experience um, uh, a few weeks ago, and I thought if anybody that I have on the show would be interested to know about my world collide experience, it would be Adam Holtz. Oh, I can't wait. Tell me. So I, I, I got to spend some time, like an unusual amount of time, <clears throat> with a person about whom I knew nothing and now know a great deal, um, whose movies I've never seen, um, but lots of people have. Um, so I got to spend an extraordinary amount of time with Quentin Tarantino. Oh. <laughs> and let me just tell you that, um, maybe, I mean, as, as interesting as I found him, um, I think he found me... Uh, profoundly interesting. I don't know that he's ever had any sort of, you know, over the course of days conversation with a Christian. And I mean, I I just, there were just moments when he just was stunned to discover that like, you know, we eat with forks and and knives and we uh, can talk about any number of topics and where our knuckles don't drag the ground. So um, it did feel like uh, one of those unusual openings. And so, um, I know know I thought of all, you went for it, right? I mean, you're not going to ignore an unusual opening. Oh no, (laughs) no. (laughs) I take every unusual opening and I just push the door just, just, yeah. So, um, it was, uh, it was, it was interesting. I feel like it's possible, you know, it's just possible that I have, um, I have won the future opportunity to be consulted about things because I just, um, frankly, just come right out and tell him, look, most of the things that you that you say and do uh, Christians in the country find profoundly offensive. And so, so, I mean, maybe you maybe you don't know that, but like you should. I feel like you should know that. Carmen, I'm in a bite here. How yeah. did you spend a bunch of time with? Quentin yeah, no. So, I, yeah, no, I just I happened to be in a place where he also happened to be and we happened to be. uh you know, I don't know. We're both weird, right? So you, the two weird people in, end up off in the corner because like, I'm just – I'm enough of an introvert that I want to talk to another introvert most of the time. Uh-huh. And although he, like me, has a very public-facing job, um, I would definitely say he's a, he's a very, like, close circle of people person and none of his close circle of people were there. So he had to huh. – you know, he had to pick somebody. He had to pick somebody to okay. talk to. So there you go. Um, and he had written a book, which I, of course, had not read nor knew nothing about. Um, and uh, and so he was getting ready to do his book tour, which he's now on. And <clears throat> and he and once he found out what I did, then I would like practice with him. I'm like, well, here's some interview questions that I would ask. And then toward the end of the time, he's like, well, well why you're not asking me to be on your show? I'm like, well, that's because you don't use words that the FCC allows on Christian radio. Like it's not okay. You can't like I I'd have to pre-record with you. Most of it would be like anyway. So it was it was it was fun. It was fascinating. It was nice to um, uh, be exposed to a part of uh, of culture from which I feel very, very distant. Um, yeah. And um, I read his book, like as a, as a book review, because I've never seen the movie. And I read the book, and I'm not, I'm certainly not recommending the book to our audience. Um, most of the words in it and themes are totally not acceptable, um, you know, for the Christian worldview or mindset. But, um, but I did see it as a window into the person. And um, in a, in reference to a conversation we had earlier with Dan DeWitt, a person's backstory really does matter. Like knowing oh, where really, they come from absolutely. really does matter. Yeah, absolutely. You yeah. know, I, I was, I've been at times a little bit critical of how 
uh, melodramatic Kevin Sorbo's Christian movies have been. And then I interviewed him and I found out he had a blood clot in his shoulder, almost died and was miraculously healed. And I'm like, well, that explains the miraculous turn in almost every Christian movie he's in. Right. And so that's exactly uh, right. So there you go. Different story, but same kind of idea. Absolutely. Same kind of idea. All right. As always, it's a joy to talk with you. We love catching (laughs) up. We love that you watch things that we don't have to sometimes and uh, really appreciate it. Thanks, man. You bet, Carmen. Thank you. All right. Yeah, you can find Adam Holtz at Focus on the Family's Plugged In and all kinds of great reviews and articles at PluggedIn.com. We'll be right back. All right, we talk a lot about how to bring the mind of Christ to bear on the headline news of the day. Jeff Bilbro has actually written a book about it. It's called Reading the Times. It's a literary and theological inquiry into the news. I would also describe it as, you know, how to read the news with the good news in mind. So that conversation up next with Jeffrey Bilbro. We'll be right back. The next time you fear the future, rejoice in the Lord's sovereignty. Rejoice in what He has accomplished. Rejoice that He is able to do what you cannot do. This is Max Locato. Fill your mind with thoughts of God. He is the Creator who is blessed forever, Romans 1.25. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, Hebrews 13.8. His years will never end, Psalm 102.27. He is King, Supreme Ruler, Absolute Monarch, and Overlord, of all history. An arch of his eyebrow and a million angels will pivot and salute. Every throne is a footstool to his. Every crown is papier-mâché next to his. He consults no advisors. He needs no Congress. He reports to no one. He is in charge. Sovereignty gives the saint the inside track to peace. Others see the problem of the world and wring their hands. We see the problems of the world and bend our knees. This is Max Locato. So joining me now, Jeff Bilbro. He is an author. He is a professor. You can find him online at jeffbilbro.com. Jeff, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Carmen. Good morning. So in preparation for this conversation, I visited jeffbilbro.com, and one of the things I found there were uh, was an interview assignment which included a link to a list of interview do's and don'ts, which I, of course, then studied in preparation for this conversation. So oh, I'm going good. to start the, start the interview, as described on the list, with some small talk to give you an opportunity to get comfortable. How does that sound? <laughs> that sounds great. I mean, uh, yeah, that's, that's obviously a little different for my students doing this for the first time than for a seasoned uh, radio interviewer like yourself, but uh, but yeah, I loved I loved the list. I totally one hundred percent loved the list. It led me to want to ask uh, this question of you because this was a point on here. <clears throat> 
Um, I should come to the interview prepared, which I have done. I should learn as much as I can about the person that I am going to interview before the interview takes place so that I could tailor my questions just to you. So here you go. You're on your way to Grove City College. Um, and, and so I am wondering if you think you might improve the Wikipedia description of Grove City College, which currently says it was founded in, seven, in 1876 as a normal school. I think leading us to believe that now that it is described as a private Christian liberal arts college, it is no longer a normal school. I guess there might need to be some uh, clarity about what normal means <laughs> in the no context idea. of schools, right? Yeah. I, I don't, don't have any We don't idea. use that term that way anymore. I don't even know what that means. Okay, so uh, so there you go. All right, uh, you're here to discuss today your brand new book, Reading the Times, A Literary and Theological Inquiry into the News. I want to call it um, How to Read the News with the Good News in Mind. Can I do it? Can I call it that? Yes, that's an apt description for sure. All right. So um, how how does the news that we read or watch or consume, how does it not only inform us, but how does it form us? Yeah, I think that's a key question. And I've been encouraged by recent scholarship, uh, Christian scholarship on the kind of the way that our habits form our souls so that we're not just uh, thinking creatures, brains on a stick, but we're, you know, we're, we're embodied creatures. And the habits of thought, the habits of our lives form our souls deeply, which is a very biblical notion, right? That uh, we need to walk uh, according to the laws of God, and that will form us. Uh, you know, we might, different traditions call this different things like sanctification or theosis, but that we're being formed to be uh, in the image of God as we were created to be, but but that was marred by the fall. So that's the bigger context. And then, of course, the particular context in this case is is what the news and our habits regarding the news are doing to our souls. And yeah, I guess I'm just encouraging readers to think about what, what are your daily or weekly habits with the news? And while you think that it might just be a way of staying informed with what's going on, uh, maybe we should take a step back and think about how uh, the ways we engage the news and consume the news are actually uh, changing our souls, forming our souls, and, and whether that's in line with uh, the image of God or or distracting us from that goal. So um, in, in reading um, your book and in being encouraged to uh, return or establish um, these kinds of of habits that would not only inform the way that I engage with the world, but that would form me as a Christian engaging in the conversations of the day. I was reminded um, of uh, Brett McCracken's Wisdom Pyramid, and if you're not familiar yeah. with that, I think you would really like that. Yeah, that book came out after I um, finished this one, but I think he, and I haven't read it all yet, but it's on my short list, and I think he is uh, arguing a lot of this. Uh, it's a very parallel argument to mine, absolutely. It's a, it's a very, it's a very par parallel argument. Um, so, so Jeff, talk with us about, um, you know, kind of where you're going um, in the book. Um, I like the part where you know, you, you address the issue of like the pace of information, the amount of information, my limited ability to pay attention to too many things at the same time. Um, and so maybe the attention piece would be a good one to unpack. Sure. 
Yeah, I think uh, it's definitely something that many of us can relate to, right? Uh, that we've we've experienced the kind of increasing pace of information uh, over the last years, few years, and uh, I think a lot of people are waking up to the fact that this is not sustainable. It's not human, right? That, that as individual humans, finite creatures, we're not able to uh, follow every story and keep up with with everything that we could keep up with. There's simply too much. So how do we set healthy limits? and go deeper on some things so that we actually uh, ha have real wisdom about um, particular issues that we might be called to engage and respond and act uh, act to, to bring about God's kingdom in this area. So one of the things I talk about in that section is uh, instead of just uh, kind of flitting from story to story and being outraged or amused or whatever by all these tidbits, um, it might be more productive to to pick out a few issues that maybe God is calling us to attend to. I talk about Thomas Merton's uh, understanding of vocation and uh, focus on those and prayerfully and uh, think about them, uh, read books about them, um, read long essays and go deeper into a few issues. And then hopefully over time, um, we will have the wisdom to contribute to those discussions or even uh, act on them in our communities and our spheres of influence and contribute to, to real change. You know, so if you're outraged by immigration or, uh, you know, anything really, uh, environmental issues, um, the, the, the agricultural situation in the U.S., right? Think about what what. Uh, what issues God might be calling you to attend to and then respond to. All right, Jeff, I love um, this conversation, and we're going to unpack more of Reading the Times with Jeff Bilbro in just a moment. But we have a listener who is uh, is informing me um, about what a normal school is and how I might learn more about the normal school derived from a French phrase and um, really designed to be a school that uh, was designed to create a sense of what would be normative or normal or norms for other schools. There you go. I'm learning stuff today. Jeff Bilbro and I return in just a moment. We'll be right back. All right, I'm continuing my conversation with Professor Jeffrey Bilbro. You can find him online at jeffbilbro.com. We're talking today about his new book, Reading the Times. And yes, I've got copies to give away. So if you're listening right now and you're like, and you're saying to yourself, I would um, like to know how I could um, transform my news consumption um, by developing new habits, uh, new rhythms um, in terms of my attention and what I'm paying attention to and how I'm paying attention to it and how I can experience the news in the light of the good news of the gospel. Um, this book is for you. So go ahead and text the word book to 877-933-2484. Again, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Jeff, each section of the book features these liturgies. 
So can you talk about um, what that means for people who either are not familiar with the concept of a liturgy or have been raised to be skeptical of uh, of liturgical practices? Yeah, that's a good question. So I guess kind of the one maybe synonym for liturgy in the way that I'm using it is just uh, a habit, but obviously liturgy comes with this spiritual, it's a sort of spiritual habit or a spiritual practice by which the church uh, enacts the, the worship and work of God. And uh, there's been a kind of a renewed focus, I think, at least in some evangelical circles on liturgies in recent years, maybe uh, in part because, as you say, there has been uh, a lot of, historically, a lot of criticism of kind of mindless liturgy from the Protestant tradition. Uh, and some of that's probably prudent, um, but maybe it, maybe it went too far. And so I think some evangelical Protestants are recovering the goods of liturgies and uh, the fact that we all have them. And the question isn't whether we're going to be liturgical or not, but whether we're going to have good habits and, and worship practices or poor ones. So, yeah, throughout the book, I try to talk about, you know, in, in the attention section, I uh, try to diagnose some of the problems with the way that we attend to the news um, and then try to outline or look to some examples of people, in this case, um, Blaise Pascal and Thomas Merton, who might offer a, a better uh, perspective on how to attend to the news and then consider a couple of practices. And one of them I've already mentioned, which is um, reading books and longer essays about the issues that that seem to attract our attention. Um, and then the second one actually might be kind of surprising or unexpected, but it's just to learn or cultivate a craft. And I guess the reason for that is that when we uh, apprentice ourselves to a, a craft, whether it's cooking or playing a, an instrument or woodworking or gardening or any number of things, um, it forces us to attend in more um, richer, I guess, richer ways uh, than we might otherwise do. And we're not just spectating. We're not just watching from the sidelines. Um, we're getting our hands dirty and, and learning the things that we need to know to practice that craft well. And I think hopefully that form of attention can then carry over into other aspects of our lives, like the way that we engage the news. We recently talked with um, Rob Mole's uh, widow, um, uh, about about his life and um, and his ministry, and one of the things that um, that I asked her about was it was his passion for the craft of like pounding things out in the foundry after you know having pounded things out on the keyboard at Christianity Today, um, yeah. and, and we talked about that. We talked about this um, this passion that he had for this craft and. Um, I do think I think it's essential. We have to have something that is grounding us to reality. It's giving us a creative outlet. Um, it does draw our attention in a meaningful way away from, uh, you know, the social media feeds and, you know, sort of the other harping of the of the day. And so I just I thought that was a really wise, uh, wise counsel in terms of liturgy. The other liturgy that you offer and you and you offer it in the third portion of the book um, is just to walk. Talk. Talk about that, because I'm thinking people don't think about walking um, as a liturgical exercise. Yeah, and I think you know, I wrote this before the pandemic hit, but then afterwards, I think walking kind of experienced a renaissance that people couldn't go to gyms, 
Uh, they, a lot of people working from home. And I saw, at least in my neighborhood, neighborhood, <clears throat> a lot more people out just walking, uh, walking along the streets. And it was a delight to, you know, talk to my neighbors more often um, when when we couldn't go elsewhere. And I think um, walking is one way of kind of getting outside of the digital um, reality that can that can really seem all uh, all important when we're behind our computer screens or, or our smartphone screens and um, engaging, looking around uh, the place where we are and meeting people uh, in real life who we might never run across in virtual life or might never read a story about them uh, in the paper, but we can have a conversation. And we discover that there are different issues that our neighbors care about than we might um, be drawn to. So it, it seems like a kind of simple thing, but just... Uh, putting ourselves in, in a place where we can encounter and notice and observe what's going on with our immediate neighbors can be really helpful, I guess, reorienting of uh, what we attend to and who we imagine ourselves uh, as belonging to. Okay, two things there to lift up. One is that um, who we imagine ourselves to be. I think that is a nod to the figurative imagination chapter, chapter five, which might have been my favorite. So I want to I want to talk about that opening sentence. The good news of Jesus points Christians toward an alternative horizon of meaning by which we should judge the significance of contemporary events. Um, and then the second question, and you alluded to it in uh, in talking about walking. Um, is how might my news consumption change or my uh, or the formation of it in my life if I were to consider it in light of the command to love my neighbor? So take up either one of those questions that you want to, um, because I think that these are both excellent points that you make. Sure. I guess I'll go with the first one first. Um, yeah, I think it can be hard when when we just read the news uh, on our feeds or the, the headlines and read them only in that context to understand what's important, why should I care about this, uh, what's what's really at stake here, and the challenge for Christians, and it's, it's a challenge, it's, there's no simple solution here, but the challenge should be to try to read about these events and, and situate them within the context of God's work in the world and uh, you know what? What is important according to the economic markets, or according to the culture wars, or uh, according to what's popular, might not be what's important according to the the standard of, you know, um, the incarnation and the passion and and the resurrection and the the coming the second coming of Christ. So, trying to think about um, about that context and situate our lives in that drama uh, changes what we see as important. And so I, I point to some people in that chapter, like Dante, but others, uh, who I think can can model that for us. Um, what was your second question? Now, now I lost Yeah, the, lo- the, the love your neighbor piece. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so hopefully then that leads us to imagine ourselves as members of the body of Christ, um, not just as members of a, say, voting group or socioeconomic class or um, lifestyle, you know, uh, segment, but, but as members of the body of Christ who are called to love all of our neighbors and, um, uh, you know, embody and invite them into the kingdom of God. So it it kind of changes who we identify with and then hopefully how we, um, we act out that identity in our daily lives. 
So good. It's so helpful. Um, you guys can find Jeff Bilbro online, jeffbilbro.com. The book is Reading the Times. I've got copies to give away today. If you'd like to enter the drawing, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Jeff, blessings. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Carmen. We'll be right back. have texted in your vacation Bible school uh, happenings at your church. Some of you are doing it virtually. Um, Some of you are doing it uh, in new ways. Uh, One listener, they're going to set up in a local park. Instead of expecting people to come to the church, they're going to just set up in a local park. I have suggested they bring some sidewalk chalk and do some sidewalk Sunday school while they're there. Maybe a library table with books that kids could take home. Maybe a costume trunk, you know, all those costumes that you would be using at your church if you were doing, if uh, if you were demonstrating the stories or enacting them and let kids just uh, use scripts from, from a table, maybe where they could um, act out the Bible stories themselves. Offer healthy snacks and certainly have games and maybe a take-home pack, a big Ziploc bag. Invite them back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.